you know, one of the things that you will find um, a lot talked about in the motivational realm or in, um, if you go into a, a bookstore, books on happiness, people pursuing happiness, just looking for that in their life. There's been dozens, if not hundreds of books written on this subject, the pursuit of happiness, or how, do, how can I be happy in my life? The, the bank that I work for has a list of core values, and one of the core values in that list is happiness. And our CEO talks quite a bit about that, making sure that we live happy lives. But there are people that never can seem to find true happiness in life. We live in a world searching for something that can only truly be found in Christ. And we're going to talk today, we're going to look at Psalms 32. That's going, David's going to pry open for us, blessed is the one who transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. This is verse 1. He's going to pull back the layers for us on this idea of happiness. And he's going to connect happiness with forgiveness. These two, happiness with forgiveness. He's going to say there is, in fact, something wrong with you. Even though you may think that there is not, that feeling of shame or uneasiness has a grain of truth in it, even if it's distorted. And to be happy, you have to deal with it. But not in the way that we typically deal with it. So David's going to unfold this for us today. Let's keep reading in verse 2. It said, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. You see, the psalmist, David, looks upward and connects this feeling of unhappiness, this sense of condemnation to God, and he is correct in doing that. When David and Eve, or I'm sorry, when Adam and Eve first sinned in the Garden of Eden, they felt ashamed because of what? Their nakedness. They felt ashamed of their nakedness, and they had to hide themselves before God because of their sin. How many of you have ever had a dream that you woke up and you were naked in a public place? Yeah, it's, it's one of the more common dreams, you know, at work or at church or wherever, and you wake up and you feel this sense of shame. Even though it didn't happen, even though it was just a dream, you know, the, it, we feel that the, the soul's nakedness is, is ingrained in us, and it goes back to our relationship with God. You see, normal people do not want to be naked before others. Sometimes shame comes from suffering or abuse that has nothing to do with you, but we have a sense of soul judgment that comes from our separation from God, and that realization of that is a gift from God. Not all guilt is bad either. Sometimes it's like pain. 
You may think of pain as all bad, but pain can actually be there to help you. When you put your hand on that hot stove, the pain that you feel is actually good to let you know that you are hurting your body and you need to remove your hand off of the stove. Guilt works in the same way. Guilt is God's messenger showing you that something is not right. And that's what the psalmist is experiencing. Maybe you're finally at a place where you see the harm of a life of selfishness in relationships. And you see how that has hurt others. And you've lived certain ways for years and only recently have you come to realize the consequences of your actions and you feel that guilt. The realization of condemnation is God's mercy on your life. There's the the phrase in the amazing hymn, Amazing Grace. It says, "'Tis grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved." But it's like when you first shine a light into a dark room. If I were to go look at my girl's room with the light off, it may look okay. But if I go flip the light on Callie and Cassie's room, I would see that it is a mess. There is a lot that needs to be taken care of. Before you can clean up what is torn up, you have to come to the realization Come face to face with what is broken. The first sign that the light of God is beginning to enter your soul is the feeling in verse 4 that the psalmist says here, Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up. Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of of my sin. So we're going to look at several things this morning on ways to find happiness. So to find happiness, you must be honest about your sin. He said, I did not cover my sin as a clear reference back to the Garden of Eden and what they did. The first thing God did when he came to them was call them out from their hiding Make them uncover themselves and deal with their sin. He killed a lamb, made coverings, gave, giving them a picture of how to deal with their sin in the future. In order for God to cover their sin, they first had to uncover it. Or you could say it like this, cover your sin and God will expose it, expose it and God will cover it. So to find happiness, you must be honest about your sin. Number two, to find happiness, we must own your sin. You must own your sin. Four times in verse five, he uses the word my. He's claiming it. He's owning it. Acknowledge my sin, my transgressions, my iniquity. The first thing we typically do after our sin is exposed is what? We start to justify it. After the first sin in the Garden of Eden, after God brings them out from hiding, he says, what have you done? And what is Adam's reply to God? The woman that you gave me 
made me eat it. In one sentence, God blamed two people, or Adam blamed two people, God and the woman. So what does this look like for us? Maybe you say, well, the reason I am like this is because of the situation that I'm in. I've been treated badly, and that justifies my bad actions. Or I haven't been given the privileges that others have had. Or I've worked hard and I deserve more than I've been given. What I'm doing is not that bad, especially compared to other people, compared to how much good I have done. People think I've made enough deposits, I can make some withdrawals. David said, you will never be happy that way. Yes, others sinned against me, but I make my own choices. I'm responsible for my own actions. No one else but me. Own my sin. David says, my iniquity, my sin before God. It wasn't the woman that God gave me or the circumstances he put me in. I wasn't just hanging out with the wrong crowd. I was the wrong crowd, which is why I got along so well with that crowd. You must own your sin. You ever had someone apologize to you by saying, I'm sorry I did this, but you? It doesn't feel right, does it? I'm sorry, but you, and really what they're giving you is not an apology but a justification for their sin against you. God's forgiveness begins where blame shifting ends. If you're going to get clean first, you got to get naked. You have to get naked before God. If you want to get naked figuratively, take off the clothes of hiding, of self-justification, of excuses, and acknowledge it. So many times in life we have terrible things that are done to us. Sin that is committed against us by someone that maybe we love. And we use that sin committed against us to justify the sin that we are committing now and the actions, the way that we are behaving now. And David would say, no, no. Own your sin. Own it. To find happiness. You must own your sin. Number three, to find happiness, you must learn to hate your sin and not just its consequences. Confess in the Greek means seeing things from a different perspective of the one you've wronged. Not only are you admitting it, you are changing your perspective to the perspective of the one that you have wronged. In English, you can confess something and not really feel any differently about it. The classic expression of this, if I've offended you, I'm sorry, means I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry, I'm not sorry for what I did, but I'm, I'm sorry that you're upset about it. That is not repentance. It's a cheap, selfish attempt at peacemaking. You say, I'm sorry I've offended you is never a way at making peace with someone. And some of you are thinking, ooh, pastor, you're getting a little bit into marriage counseling this morning. You're stepping on our toes from this past weekend. 
Confess here in the Psalms means now I see things, God, from your perspective and what I've done is wrong. Many people confess their sin and turn from it because the consequences get painful. They've got caught. They're embarrassed. Life is painful. Their attitude toward the sin itself hasn't changed. And that is not real confession. See the imagery of verse 9. Do not be like the mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. You see, when a mule consents to go with you, it's not because that mule just loves you and really wants to be with you or go where you want to go. It's because that mule goes with you because it has a bit in its mouth, and as you pull it, it's painful for that mule. And what the psalmist is saying is, do not allow the consequences, the pain, to be what drives your repentance. God doesn't want people who obey like mules. He wants people who obey out of the love of their heart. He's not just after obedience, but a heart that desires him. A heart that desires to obey. And a lot of people avoid sin because they're afraid of what others might think about them if they got caught. And that's not genuine repentance. Because you don't really hate sin. You just want to not be thought badly about by others. So let me ask you. If I threatened to pull all of your sin of the last month up here on our screens as we have been filming through a keyhole of your life over the last month, we would all, to a person in this room, probably be mortified. Mortified of what would be on the screen. And if we knew that was going to happen, man, we would stop, do our best to stop sinning, to turn over a new leaf. But you know, throughout all of this recording, is that God knows. God knows every moment of your life, every thought, and every action. And the idea that God knows should bother us so deeply that it drives us to repentance. When we're more bothered by what others know about us than what God knows about us, that is a problem, that, that you and we as a whole care more about what others think than what God thinks. That is, that is something that we need to be repentant of. When your heart attitude towards sin itself hasn't changed, then we really haven't confessed. So we see to, be, to find happiness, you must learn to hate your sin and not just its consequences. Number four, to find happiness, you must actually change direction. Verse 10, many of the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. You see, the psalmist has changed. He has confessed. He has seen the sin from God's perspective. 
And now, verse 10, he talks about his newfound trust in God. Verse 11, his joy in God, his new surrender to God. You see, where there is no change, there has been no confession. And just so you know, confession without change wearies God. It's wearisome to God. Some of, the, some of you do things and you've just got enough church culture in you that you feel bad when you do things. And so you feel like you need to go to church to make it up, confess it. And there, the truth is there are people sitting in churches all across America today that were out late Saturday night and show up Sunday morning thinking to get right with God. But while you're here, you think, I hate Sundays. I hate church. And God says, I hate Sundays because you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. The truth is, you're always, everyone is always welcome here, but what God wants is not your attendance. He wants your heart. And to have your heart, we must be a people of repentance. Now to clarify, when I say that repentance and confession mean change, and I don't mean you never sin again, Biblical confession is not perfection. I, I hope we all know that. We're never going to be perfect people on this earth. But it's a new direction. We will fall often. We will struggle daily. But each time we do, we get up and we turn toward God. Repentance is a change in direction. We change, we turn toward God and not pursuit of sin. So, to find happiness, you must actually change direction. And to find happiness, you must hide in God. Verse 7, he says, you are, my, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. Picture of what Jesus did at Calvary. God didn't just forget about your sin. He didn't just brush it aside. No, what did God do at Calvary? He defeated it. I love the imagery here. It says, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. When Jesus died on the cross, Scripture says he cried out with a loud voice from the cross, it is finished. That is a shout of deliverance from our sin. Say that someone you loved was underwater in their car payment, and you went to the bank to pay it off debt in full, and you found out a month later that the bank sent the repo man out to the person that you love's debt that you paid to repo their car. What would you do? You would march right into that bank and say, I paid that debt in full. I've got the title. There's no more lien on it. Why did you repo that car? You see, that is the same way it is with us with God's sin. God did not just forget about your sin or brush it aside. He defeated it. He paid it in full. We have voices inside and outside still condemning us for our sin. 
And Jesus doesn't deny that what they are saying is true. They're almost 100% true because we are sinners. But he cries out with a louder voice. I have paid their sin debt. It is finished. You have no more claim against them. And the way to get rid of eternal voices of guilt is not to ignore them, not to justify them, but to draw them out with louder shouts of the gospel. Your enemy comes to you and says, you have messed up. You're no good. There's no hope for you. Your past is too checkered. Just give up. You will never find happiness in life. And Jesus shouts out with a louder voice. There is no condemnation. No condemnation. The devil says, you have no future. And Jesus shouts, I know the plans I have for you to give you a future and a hope to use you for good and not for evil. The enemy says, you are a thief, a failure, a liar, untrustworthy. And Jesus shouts, such were some of you. But you are washed, you are justified, you are sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The way to get rid of eternal, internal voices of guilt is not to ignore them, not to argue with them, not to justify them, but draw them out with louder shouts of the gospel, of what Jesus says about you. You might say, well, pastor, I know all that. I, uh, I know that I'm forgiven, but I don't feel forgiven. I can't forgive myself is what I've heard multiple times as a pastor. When you say that, you're showing that someone else's voice is louder in your life than God's voice. Your own standard or what other people Maybe a loved one think about you is louder than God's voice and what God thinks about you. God's opinion is all that matters. And if he says, you are my beloved in whom I am well pleased, that is all you need to hear. So if that is what God's standard is, why do you think you should have a higher standard than God's. Is that not pride in our heart? Let me close this by showing you two things. First, there's a warning, a second, a test. Therefore, let everyone, verse 6, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. The psalmist is telling you, seek God while he can be found because there is coming a time where you can't. There is coming a time when the waters of judgment will come like a flood and sweep away all the wickedness. But right now, in this moment, we still have a chance to find the mercy of God. It's in Christ. There is coming a time when you can no longer call on God for mercy. But right now, the heavy hand of God on you, the groaning of the soul the psalmist feels, those are God's wake-up 
call on you. The feelings of guilt, the bad things that may be happening in your life, they are God's mercy on you saying, wake up. Wake up. They're not to pay you back, but to bring you back. God is not trying to beat you to death, but to raise you to life. God is not going to punish you for the sin that he has already put on Christ. He is using this as a wake-up call to bring you to him. But if you reject that, you will face judgment. You can only hide from God by hiding in God. It's a little unique. I'm going to say that you can only hide from God by hiding in God. Let me explain it this way. After you find the happiness of forgiveness, you start feeling love for God and compassion toward others. The psalmist talks about his love and joy in God. Verse 11, he says, He is glad in the Lord. Jesus says that those who are forgiven much, they love much. Those who don't love God much is because they have never come to realize how much they have been forgiven of. You say, I don't have a passionate love for God, Pastor, but I want to change that. How do I have a passionate love for God? The way you do that is to have God open your eyes to how much he has forgiven you of. How close you were to hell and how much he saved you from. What extravagant love he poured out on you, and then the love of God will naturally grow in you. The great pastor Charles Spurgeon, he says, when we think too lightly of sin, we think too lightly of the Savior. Then he said, quote, he who stood before his God, convicted and condemned, with the rope about his neck, is the man to weep for joy when he is pardoned to hate the evil which has been forgiven him, and to live to honor, to the honor of the Redeemer by whose blood he has been cleansed. Man, what a great quote. Do you want to be happy? Do you want happiness in this life? It's found in forgiveness. And here's why. Because happiness is found in God. It's not being guilt-free that makes you happy. It's being reconciled to a holy God is where true happiness is found. It's not just forgiveness for forgiveness' sake. It's forgiveness that reconciles you to God. That is the true key to happiness. Forgiveness can only say you may go, but reconciliation says please come near. Please come near. Happiness is found in reconciliation because happiness is found in God. People generally fall into two errors when it comes to God's mercy. Those who feel like they are good enough, they don't need forgiveness. And those who feel like they are so bad, they can't obtain forgiveness. For those who feel like they're good enough, they don't need forgiveness. I can only pray that God would open your eyes to show you how much you need a Savior, how much you are in need of mercy, and I pray you'll stop covering your sin and get naked before a holy God and confess that sin. And to those who think they're too bad to obtain forgiveness, I pray that God will open your eyes to how wide, 
how high, how deep, and how long is the Savior's love for you. How extravagant was his grace in sending Jesus to the cross for you. How sufficient his sacrifice was for your sins. How powerful was his resurrection from the dead on your behalf. How ready the Holy Spirit now stands to fill you with that power and how much mercy he extends out to you. When we embrace the simple truth of seeking forgiveness from a holy God through confession and repentance, will we begin to understand what a life of happiness is all about. Do we want to be a happy people? The psalmist tells us exactly how to seek and obtain this happiness. You don't need to go to the bookstore and buy all these books. The Bible has that truth right here for you. Let's pray.